This week on the Colin and Samir podcast, we address the current protests that come as a result of the murder of George Floyd. It took us some time to organize our thoughts around this topic. We've talked to each other, we've talked to friends, we've talked to family, and we've put thoughts together that we'd like to share on this podcast as well as across our platforms in the coming days. We ask that the listeners of this podcast be open-minded as you listen to our conversations. Colin and I consider ourselves not only storytellers, but also students of modern storytelling. We look at Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. These are all the modern day movie theaters. And in this moment, the only story on the screen is the story that we wanna talk to you about. Our goal in sharing this discussion about the fight for equality and justice in America is to encourage discussion in your communities and to hopefully empower the next generation of storytellers to take action. Now, one thing that I've been doing around this time is research around the civil rights movement of the 60s. I've been trying to learn more about the people and the strategies that created change. Before we start the episode, I want to play a one minute clip that I found of James Baldwin in 1968. I think that you and I might learn a great deal from each other. If you can overcome the curtain of my color. The curtain of my color is what you use to avoid facing the facts of our common history, the facts of American life. It is easy to call me a Negro or a nigger or a promising black man, but in fact, I'm a man like you. I want to live like you. This country is mine too. I paid as much for it as you. White means that you are European still. And black means that I'm African. And we both know, we've both been here too long. You can't go back to Ireland or Poland or England, and I can't go back to Africa. And we will live here together, or we'll die here together. And it's not I am telling you, time is telling you. You will listen or you will perish. So yesterday we went to Santa Monica to help clean up and to help kind of just go there and, and, and see if we could help some of the glass that was on the floor and the graffiti that was on some of the small businesses. Um, and after yesterday, last night, I couldn't sleep and, and I had had some conversations with friends and I just wanted to write this piece out. So I just took to my, to my computer and, and wrote something down. Um, I titled it, But I Brought My Broom. I wrote, as I walk through Santa Monica, broom in hand, looking for a mess to clean up, I recognized I was a walking analogy for the larger situation. It wasn't just me there. There were, th- there were thousands of me. People walking around with cleaning supplies, asking each other, hey, do you see a mess I can clean up? And when it seemed like there wasn't a direct mess to clean up, people packed up their brooms and headed home. This is our reality. We know there's a mess in this country. There's a large portion of us that agree that racism is bad but we don't know how to do anything about it. We're wandering around with a broom in our hands, trying to find a mess to sweep. Here's a lesson. It's not about grabbing your broom when there's a mess. It's about understanding the mess that is actually there every day and that has been here for years. We can't clean it up with one day of sweeping. We cannot move on from this and let the conversation die down. It took George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and Breonna Taylor to wake us up this time. But before that, it was Trayvon Martin, and before that, Rodney King, and the hundreds of other black men and women that have been murdered to make us realize that we have a real problem. But once the conversation dies down, we're typically back to life. I recognize it's not about speaking up. I recognize that it's not only about speaking up when injustice goes viral. It's about what we do between these events. So what do we do? On a micro level, we can keep our friends and family accountable. We can reach out to our black friends and talk to them. We can try our best to understand them. On a macro level, we can educate ourselves and vote. We can work harder to vet those that we are electing to power. Yes, bring your broom, help in the immediate, but let's look beyond this. What happens next? How do we build a foundation that can support the fight for racial equality? We're talking about basic human rights, and I will no longer show up on occasion. And I wrote that because I was just amazed by the fact that not only yesterday, but throughout this whole week, I feel like I've been walking around not knowing what to do. I've been wandering around being like, let me help. Let me help. Where do I go? Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is what is it about now 
that's just leaving you with that emotion, right? Because this has been happening for years and years, and there has been terrible imagery about it, right? For years and years. But this is the first time people are walking around with brooms, even figuratively, right? There are at least Mm -hmm. so many people, like we saw in Santa Monica, visually, are walking around with brooms. And I had to ask myself the question, too. I don't agree with the looting. I don't agree with with busting into businesses. But I had to ask myself, if things didn't get this bad, what would this be like? If there were peaceful protests, and then would life just move on again? Yeah, does it take visual representations of struggle, grief, destruction? And to be clear, I'm not saying that that is okay to 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 loot and to um break into businesses i think that's that's wrong but this whole experience is very different than trayvon martin this experience is different even from ahmaud aubrey which happened a few weeks ago i mean we've been asking the question a lot this week if all these protests were peaceful and then they went home would anything change And again, not not to back violence or back destruction. 100% like should not be in my opinion part of the equation to obtain justice. But what I think it has caused is an awakening in some part of the country, at least in the immediate in a way that it hasn't happened before. Totally. I mean, I think what it's made me realize is that you know, the last line of that piece that I wrote that I do show up on occasion. I show up as a non-racist and as an anti-racist on occasion. I show up when it's something that everyone's talking about. And then I say, yeah, yeah, I'm here. I agree with that. And that was something that I realized yesterday. Uh, it was something that I realized when last night I called a friend of mine that I grew up with, uh, who's black male and who I recognized I've known for almost 20 years. And I've never sat down with him and said, how does racism affect you on a day-to-day basis? And, you know, some of the conversation, some of the way that the conversation went was we talked a lot about how he was kind of amazed by the fact that so many people were just kind of waking up to it, that it's a regular problem and that um, it's so deep-rooted. And he wasn't necessarily pessimistic, but he was saying that I think a lot of people will be surprised when change does not happen after this in the way that you think it should. And how much work is necessary for people to view each other as equal? Like how much work is necessary. And it's not just when these events happen. Um, It's on a regular basis, you know, trying to fight for it and trying to actually work your work hard to change people's mind that they are not more than or someone is not lesser than. And for black people in America, the the fight for equality and justice and to be treated fairly is an everyday Mm -hmm. reminder. It's an everyday struggle and it has been part of families and generations and continues to be today and it's clear that part of the solution is at least part of hopefully the solution is showing up every day for that problem as a white american Mm -hmm. or any type of american showing up every day not just Understanding, oh, yeah, this really is a problem. Let me grab my broom. Right. And then let me put it away and move on with my life. Let me put it away when the graffiti is cleaned up today. Yeah. I mean, I even felt funny, you know, yesterday, one of the first things we did was help clean some graffiti. And the graffiti said the word enough. And as I'm scrubbing it, I'm like, yeah, you know, it shouldn't be on this business. But like, yeah, But the message is right. Yeah. Enough is enough. Of like, course. Like, so I'm, I was caught in this, this strange feeling of like, I 
you know, I, I, like, like I mentioned like, to you and the stories you know from uh, my personal life, I've experienced racism on such a small scale compared to this. And racism is not okay, you know, across the board. I felt very angry when it's happened to me. But it's not so blatant in front of my eyes every single day. It's not like, I don't know, it's not the same thing. I, I used to think that the racism that I experienced was the racism that, you know, that just exists. Like, this is racism. But this week I've recognized that the, the, the black versus white issue in America is completely different. It is 100% different than anything I've experienced. It is just a completely different, deep-rooted history. A lot more potentially ever-present. Yeah, and it's ever-present. And the reason I bring the reason we we started talking about like would people care if if this wasn't so loud? Look at Colin Kaepernick. He was peacefully protesting, right? And mm-hmm. everyone's like, "Don't do that. No, that's not allowed. You no longer have a job. Don't do that." Yeah. And think about potentially how easy it was to drown him out. Like you said, you don't have yeah. a job. You take him off the field. Yeah. The media fight around Colin Kaepernick was so extensive and was so capable of drowning that argument out. But right now, the media narrative is not easily drowned out. Hmm. It's not easily pushed aside. Yeah. I, I just, it's so strange to me, like, so... How, like, I think what we're learning now is like, so how does this fight get fought? Like, how does this voice get heard? If it's not through someone like Colin Kaepernick taking a knee and other NFL players taking a knee to raise awareness, and that's not okay, then what, what is the way you do this? You know, like what, how do you make, how do you fight this fight? And, you know, there's some basic things like it's overwhelming when you start to really think about it and you start to really talk about it. And I think the general sentiment across my friends is like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. And so I think the thing that you and I have done now, this is not the first podcast that we've recorded about this topic, but we recognize that when we did record on Saturday, a a lot of things happened a after we were time of events yeah, happened. Lifetime. The amount of violence that happened, yeah, specifically from police, yeah, exploded after we podcasted the first time. But I think the second thing is that in a world where everyone has a voice, I what I don't want to be is someone who's really quick. Um, I want to be calculated with our messaging. I want to take a second to think and write because there are things that make me feel angry. And I want to add a voice that is clear and articulate and that helps, you know, myself understand what's going on, but also helps others understand what's going on and helps others connect and recognize, you know, what is the path forward and and how do I digest this and how do I act on it? And what's the best way for us with our skill set to put out helpful information? Mm -hmm. I think this was clear to me the past 24 hours specifically as it pertains to the the black squares on instagram Mm -hmm. that quickly took hold last night i posted a black square with the hashtag black lives matter uh, and then woke up and was informed that that was actually clouding messaging and was clouding the communication outlet for people uh, to follow during the protests who were actually following the hashtag black lives matter And so by following a herd of activism, I'm doing what I think is right, showing an act of solidarity and act of support, but I'm just following. I'm not really taking a step back to think about what's the best way for me to make an impact. And then I wake up in the morning and it turns out that the post I had made potentially is detrimental. So... Maybe take for me specifically, I looked at that and said, all right, well, let me take a step back from 
that type of activism for a second and really came into work and came into conversations with you today with the mindset of, can I be more calculated? Mm -hmm. Well, especially because of our skill set. Exactly. Can I be more calculated? Because my platform is most effective, in my opinion, on podcasts and on the YouTube channel in my ability Mm -hmm. to make videos. I'm not an effective leader when I'm following a herd Mm -hmm. of voices, at least for my skill set and I think our skill set. Yeah, I agree. And I I think that that is something that, you know, there's all kinds of things happening on social media right now. There's, there's, it's the same notion of, you know, oh, I posted a black square. I I brought my broom. You know, I'm here. Yes. I'm here with you to to do what needs to get done right now. Um, But like, it's, I, I think it's, it's, it's really that, like, this should be creating more discourse and more, um, and provoking more thought. Which is when I realized when when I plugged myself out for a little bit from the news and plugged myself out from social media, I was able to write something that I felt and recognize in myself first that in my 30 years of existence, I've considered myself someone who is very much for equality, especially racial equality because of, I mean, who I am. I'm not not white. I'm not black. Mm -hmm. um, But I am a minority in this country. So I am, I stand very strong for racial equality, but I um, also recognize that I just don't show up as often for that uh, as I'd like to. And that was a huge realization for me, like really deeply looking at yourself and saying like, what, what do I do on a regular basis to ensure that, you know, the place that we're living, um, the place that, that my family came to because it was a better place, mm-hmm. you know, than, than India, that America was the land where we're all accepted, that it remains that way. And that it actually not just, sorry, not just remains that way, because it actually has not been that way and still isn't that way, but that we actually push towards that vision of what this place is supposed to be, which is a place where everyone can just live. Like these are, this is a basic human right that we're talking about. It's not like something so advanced or complex. It's like, basics yeah what i would hope we're all getting right now is in for those who need it i consider myself someone who needs an expedited education on how to help and how to truly fight racial Mm -hmm. injustice and i'm not sure we have the answer of how to truly fight it but what i would hope is it's it's an expedited again education on an edu uh, for what will actually make change and i also too like you said i consider myself someone who if you asked or in conversation, of course, I'm against racism. I'm anti-racist. Um, but I also, for so long, don't think I truly fully understood white privilege because I don't know if I'd spent the time to look into it or think about it. And that process of understanding white privilege for me only began potentially in the last two years. I heard it on a podcast explained in this way that uh, on the Dax Shepard podcast that was you know, look, anyone can have a difficult and terrible life, no matter the color of your skin. But as a white man, the issues that come with being black in America are not problems that I will face. They're not going to be part of that grouping of issues of something that I would have to deal with. You know, that I was driving cross country three months ago when I got pulled over at three in the morning in Baltimore by a cop I didn't have to fear for my life that the cop looked at me and my girlfriend and the dog and said, oh, that's a cute dog. By the way, your tail lights out. Here's a warning that there's no fear for my life. But if you're black in America, there's a history of experiences and imagery that tell you that that's a life-threatening situation you're in, that you could be jailed, arrested, killed. And I think understanding the privilege that I've been unfairly given to roam about this world without that struggle um, has been eye-opening. And also now seeing that that's a privilege I still unfairly have, but there's potentially ways you can use it as a tool to be a better advocate, to be a better ally. Mm -hmm. 
So that's sort of like an evolution that personally I've been having over this time. Yeah, I think I didn't recognize how evident it was um, either. Of course, I've thought about it. I mean, you, you probably even remember five, six years ago when we would travel together, we had this like big piece of equipment. And at airports, I would say, can you do this? Because I will get searched. Totally. <laughs> and that's yeah. because of a post 9-11 world that doesn't have to do with white versus black, but that has to do with when 9-11 hit, people looked at me as looking as the same as, as a terrorist. And also one time though, your brother did carry mm-hmm. that piece of equipment. Yeah. And, and did got get, searched. And did get searched. Yeah. I mean, it, it happened to us all the time. I mean, I got taken in in an airport to a back room and questioned and right after me, another Indian guy with a turban on came in and I was, I felt angry. So I asked them, how did you pick us? And they said, random selection. And I said, look at both of us. <laughs> like, What's random? What is random here? Um, at the same time, like that profile was there. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know that, that like at the same time, it's like, yeah, I don't know what I expect these people to do. You know, and and I think that comes now to the conversation around cops and the conversation around what you just talked about, your experience um, in Baltimore, like, and the expectation you have versus the expectation that any of our black friends have or any, you know, young black male who's driving across the country like that gets pulled over at 3 a.m. Already, you know, in your head that that's a different experience. With I mean, a cop. Yeah, just saying yeah. it. Just saying it out loud. You're like, oh, that's bad. That's a bad situation to get caught in. You don't want to be black. caught in that situation. Yeah. So, like, what is our expectation of of police and like of of the enforcement of rules in our society? In an ideal world, the expectation would be that everyone falls under the same set of rules. Right? That mm-hmm. it's not frightening for a black man to get pulled over at three in the morning to walk with a hoodie in a white neighborhood. The reality is that clearly there are a different set of rules. And I think obviously this has happened again and again and again, but with the imagery of George Floyd's death, it was so clearly displayed that uh, the police officer did not feel he was under any set of rules. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, and you, it, when you learn about his history, you're like, oh, this guy's, of course, he's, he wasn't under a set of rules. No, history he had shown him. If he wasn't filmed, would, what would happen to him? Would anything happen? Probably not, because it hasn't happened in the past. So, and and the, the officers around him weren't under any set of rules. And so here lies a huge issue that we talked about this morning. America, the reality is, if you're listening to this and you live in America, what you recognize is that America works because of rule of law. And what is rule of law? Rule of law means that we're all scared. If we break the rules, we're either killed or put in jail. Physical harm. Right? Your life-altering things happen to you if you break the rules. Now, the thing that that is important to recognize is that what I just said is if you break the rules, but that doesn't apply to everyone. What's happening is that people are getting killed when the, the, the way that the rules are enforced is not being applied to everyone. And black people in America clearly have different rules. Because as you're seeing from some of these protests, there are people who are peacefully standing there, who are getting hit in the face, brutally. And history has shown that that's not the first time those thing, types of things have happened. It just so happens that all of America is plugged in and all the news cameras are on right now, that the world is watching during these protests and seeing this imagery all at once. Yeah, I mean, I think like we think of other countries as not operating with, you know, rule of law. 
Um, but you really look at like what we're watching and what we're witnessing right now and the expectations of police officers following the rules or being held accountable um, clearly seems to be off. I mean, case in point, the National Guard yesterday morning when we're walking around the streets of Santa Monica holding AK-47s, that's clearly part of their rules. Mm -hmm. I get it. I don't, I don't get it, but mm -hmm. it's part of the rules. Not wearing masks. Right. <laughs> All of us have to wear masks. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he, yeah. He, so what we're getting at here is, look, I have friends. I have friends' parents. I have friends' friends who are police officers. I am not saying that there are, that every police officer sh you should be afraid of. I'm not saying that they're all bad people. Um, but it's clear that when there are bad, bad cops, when there are bad people in those positions, they are not held accountable. Case in point right now is the fact that at a very basic level, the four people who were involved in murdering this guy, murdering George Floyd, are not charged. One of them is. But imagine if that happens in another setting. Four people are involved in killing someone. The only way America works is if the rules are followed. And if that rule doesn't apply to everyone, then especially the people that keep us safe, too, especially right? the people who are supposed to enforce the rules. It's imagine if you go in a classroom and the teacher's like, everyone in this room has to remain quiet while we're taking the test. And then the teacher starts playing music. It's like, I don't have to be quiet if you're not being quiet. You're the person in charge. You know, like it doesn't, it doesn't work. And then if the teacher stands there and is like, if you're white, you, you, you have to be quiet. If you're black, you don't, or vice versa. It, does, it doesn't work like that. Then rules don't apply. There's, there's a tweet I'm looking at right now that is uh, um, a very interesting line. It says, we live in a world where trained cops can panic and act on impulse, but untrained civilians must remain calm with a gun in their face. And in the same world, I've also seen a lot of imagery, specifically out of Philadelphia, of white men holding guns on street corners. You even saw it with the protesters who went to their state capitol with rifles, the white protesters. Yeah. There's a different set of rules also for who can hold guns, who can walk around with weapons. That's an extra layer on top of it. And and so so yeah, so that the 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 basic component here to make sure that that everyone realizes and recognizes is that the country is founded on the fact that we follow rules. But what's coming to light and what's really important to recognize is that there's no universal set of rules here. The rules apply differently based on the color of your skin. The rules apply differently based on your job. The rules all apply differently. And when that happens, that's, that's injustice. Right? I mean, that is the basic, it's the basics of justice. Is there's yeah. a rule and everyone has to follow it and it's yeah. and it's enforced the same way across the board. I think in line with that is this quote from MLK, peace is not the absence of violence, it's the presence of justice. Right? That if something was continually being done about these bad cops, that would signal the presence of justice. But up to this point, it's not there. Yeah. And and that is going to be part of the solution, is the presence of justice. The, the one thing that I think, uh, you know, that, or, or not the one thing, but one, one thing I've been very fascinated by is the increase in, you know, storytelling and things that have, have been from previous movements that have come to light on social. Um, I saw an old... It was either a TED Talk or something from a uh, history class or something like that. Anyway, it was it was like a lecture, and this this woman 
looks out the crowd and it's 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 all it's all you know it's, I think it's primarily a white class but she says you know, she starts talking about how the people in that class uh, you know want to fight for equality and um, she asks all of them in the beginning of the class raise your hand if you would want to be living in America as a black man and no one raised their hand and just in that moment you can you can see it, right? In that moment, you're like, oh, there you go. If you don't want to, if you don't want to do that, then obviously you know there's a problem. There is inequality there. There's inequality. There's a problem, right? And so that's, now that's said. But one thing that, you know, we played at the beginning of this podcast and it's one of the most powerful pieces I've seen is from, from the uh, civil rights movement from James Baldwin when he just explicitly says, I want what you want and you know what you want. That line, and you know what you want, is so powerful. And it's just that basic level of saying, like, let me live the same way that you want to live. It's almost mind-boggling to have this conversation, right? Like, I was saying, you know, before, like, what if you did put everyone in a room and say, like, where where does our common ground end? even with people who are listening to this or people who watch us, where does our common ground end? Do we all agree that that was wrong, what that officer did? And if you don't agree, like, how do I, how do we understand each other? I think there's the chance that people listening to us, maybe most of the people agree that was wrong. But when you look at the nation as a whole, clearly not the case. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've seen people in comments talk about how oh you don't want to get into an altercation with the police don't break the rules that the police have final say potentially yeah and again the the country works because there's you know it, it works in the way it works or it's supposed to work because there's a set of rules and you have to follow them so you know if you break the rules you should then get what we've all agreed on is the punishment, which is not which a is need, not is not a knee to your neck. That is not the punishment for breaking the rules. Yeah. Made by decision immediately by whoever officer yeah. is handling the situation at the moment, not the rules. If George Floyd broke the rules, I don't think anyone is saying don't, you know, give him repercussion. But the issue here is don't, don't put your fucking knee on his neck. Like that to me is not how, like that is what is the unrest in the nation is that it's that there's a set of rules and they're applied differently to everyone. Not everyone. Sorry. They're applied differently to two different groups. Mm -hmm. I, I think what I just keep thinking about is the fact that even throughout the course of us having this podcast, a lot of black people have died unjustly at the hand of cops. Mm -hmm. And that now we want to talk about it. Right. It's just something to think about and ponder and, and sort of understand. Yeah, no, I think, and that's, that's the primary thing is like, even, even this action, you know, like for us, I think you and I both, you know, would like to be people who stand for, uh, equality, you know, social justice and play our part as, as we go forward. And I think that is something that we have to then, you know, think about actively as a brand, as a platform and say, you know, in my opinion, this isn't about politics. This isn't about bringing politics into it. This has politics is something else. This is human rights. And for us, it's not going to be just about making it a part of our narrative. It's about making action items. Right. It's not just a part of the narrative that we're supporting. And I think, you know, one thing that we both believe uh, and that is important to talk about is storytelling. Storytelling can create change. I mean, here's the unbelievable thing, right? Movements and leadership can start from the grassroots, from the bottom. One person with a camera on their phone can capture a video that tells a certain story 
that produces a wave of reaction and a movement. And that's the unbelievable thing. And I think what we have to be careful of is, the, is the, that that's also a reality, that one person can put something out that can spark a lot of change. Right. And I think now part of our job and our responsibility, as I see it, is to help and educate people on how to tell effective stories, how to harness that power, how to curate and collect all those micro stories in a way that moves progress forward or that, that creates progress. And yeah, and I think like right now, the one thing that I've recognized is, and I talked to some friends about this last night, but there is not a singular leader for this mo movement right now, right? There's not a, a face um, or a person who's a leader. And a lot of that is because through the rise of social media, we now pick our leaders. We pick the people that we turn to. We've selected them ourselves. We've curated them on our feeds. And I think that's what makes me recognize that, um, you know, creators, people who are on social, uh, they are chosen leaders by certain people. That's part of the reality, right? Like the reason it's called an influencer is because they carry influence. Um, and that happens on a micro level uh, with someone who maybe is just creating content or posting for their friends. And it happens on a macro level with someone who maybe has millions and millions and millions of people who are following them. So I think the leadership now is going to be fairly diversified across the internet. Sirens? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, driving through Venice this morning on the way here. It's crazy. Everything was boarded up. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think finding a unified voice, creating a leader out of the diverse array of leaders that moves in a positive direction is going to be another hurdle that's going to have to be faced, I think. Finding out what leadership means in a world where storytelling is wildly democratized. Right. So basically what we're saying, I think, is that, you know, we, we will do our best to tell stories that support um, creating change, but we will also do our best to uh, educate and empower the people who are watching us to become storytellers and to use their voice um, in a way that can reach people online, because that is our reality now. Um, I, I think social media has played a really interesting movement in the past week, or sorry, has played a really interesting role in this movement over the past week um, in both good ways and bad ways. Um, and it's just a part of our reality now that social is the place that people turn to very regularly. This is completely different from when, you know, the civil rights movement happened and you turn on one television and Martin Luther King is getting interviewed on 60 Minutes to talk about what's happening in the movement Mm -hmm. from his perspective and Malcolm X is another lead. Like there's a few leaders who are speaking on behalf of people today. That's not really happening. Like I think today what's going to happen is anytime, I mean all day you could be refreshing Twitter and hearing from people that are emerging as leaders and people who are saying things. And I agree with that guy. I don't agree with that. Like, and you don't know where they're from, who yeah. they are, what their motives are. I, I wonder what's going to be the future for communication during these movements and, Again, you look back, civil rights era, I would imagine there were a lot more groupings of people specific to geographic areas, people getting uh, in front of other people and talking in person and organizing in person. Um, and that probably is going to have to be a part of the solution too, is transitioning some of this social media energy into in-person organization. Right. I mean, we're following a random person on Twitter to inform us about what's happening in Venice at any given moment. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and what's a better way to go about that? A more fact-checked way. Right. 
a more productive way to understand what's happening, where to be, how to help. So, you know, as we kind of continue on now as creators, um, you know, we're trying to sort out how to be a part of this. Um, we're trying to sort out from, you know, everything from creating videos to documenting to uh, explaining to helping people process and digest. And, um, you know, where where do we, uh, as creators, you know, where and how do we get involved? Um, where and how do we create change? Um, and I think, you know, I, I think people in the past, creators in the past have been criticized for injecting, you know, what, what, what seem to be political issues into their, um, into their content. And what I want to be clear about is that I don't see this as a political issue. And our platform is our platform. And I think that as you're following us, like there are certain things that I will want to tell stories about and that I will want to encourage others to tell story about stories about. And this is one of those things for me. Um, racial inequality is one of those things that I think that if you, if you follow us, uh, you know, most likely you're watching a brown guy and a white guy on camera. Yeah. You probably agree with us, but you know, it, it will be something that we talk about, you know, especially in the near term, you know, we'll, we'll also talk about other things, but this is something that, uh, I think is really important to talk about and to use our platform for. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I agree. And I don't, see the issue as a political issue but they are intertwined they're in intertwined America. yeah po politics yeah. is the is the current yeah. way that that would govern this issue right. and what's currently happening the response is an issue yeah that's true that's an issue so well we're getting close to curfew here in santa monica colin it, it, it was 159 which is crazy to think about yeah. we have a curfew here there's uh you know the national guard to paint a picture for you the national guard is walking the streets with ak-47s and there's like these big military you know buses tanks there's like helicopters overhead helicopters it's time. it's a very strange experience right now that we're all living and um you know there's people who have reached out to us who have sent their writing to us people who have DM'd me and, and DM'd you and DM'd us and shared their experience and their emotions with us. And uh, I hope that we can continue to be some, you know, to be a place where you can share your stories um, and that you can reach out to us and that you can listen to this podcast and uh, you can engage with us. We, we, we've seen our podcast listeners take to um, Twitter and take to uh, our email inbox to connect with us and share their experience and share their thoughts. So, and some of the people recently have said, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to currently address this, how to help, how to internalize all of it. And I did some writing, and it's part anger, it's part confusion, but I want to send it to you guys. And we're open to that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think like discourse is incredibly important. Conversation is important. You know, whether you agree or disagree, you know, whatever it is, discourse is important because it leads to empathy. It leads to understanding each other. Um, and that's something that at a basic level needs to happen. We have to try our best to understand each other. So from a tangible action now, you know, tomorrow I wake up, what, what can I do? Um, where do I start? The, the first thing that's been in my mind that I currently have not done has, has been to sign the petitions actually mm. to uh, raise the degree uh, as well as charge the other officers. So that, that has been something on the top of my mind. That's like, Oh, that's one of the first things I can just do. Yep. Right that's, away. that's number one. Like in my opinion, again, if the, if, if our rules system doesn't work, this whole thing doesn't make any sense because if, if the rules don't apply to them, then it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So that's, that's number one. I agree. Um, Kevin Hart had a great tweet about this, basically saying that I've seen a lot. He said, I've seen a lot of things, uh, tried a lot of actions been, t 
taken to stop the rioting, but the one action that has not yet been taken is charging the officers. So I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, that's the first thing that's been at the top of my mind. Yeah. I think number two for me um, has been reaching out to uh, my immediate community, reaching out to the friends that I have, the friends and, and family, uh, especially my black friends, because it, it's, it's okay to have an uncomfortable conversation with them and call them and say, how have you felt? How do you feel? How is this impacting you? Um, just to try and get a, you know, a better understanding of what their experience is like. Um, and even asking how you can be a supportive friend, a supportive, um, you know, supportive to, to the cause and supportive uh, in a way that, that is, is actually helpful in, on the micro level. Um, that is something that I think is, is important, again, to raise empathy, to get a better understanding, and then to, to truly understand that outside of these instances that happen, what do you do, you know? When this, when this conversation potentially uh, goes away, which I don't know when that will be, hopefully this, this rises until it creates change, but when this conversation dies down, what, what do you do? You know, how, do you, how do you help? So I think that talking uh, and understanding is a really important piece of the puzzle here. I think another thing that I've been really... I think is important is to look back in time at movements that have happened, you know, look back at the civil rights movement, look back at, uh, you know, times where change has, has happened. Look at, look at Gandhi and what he did in India. Look at, uh, MLK, like how, how have these things happened? You know, around the world, these, these, you know, racial injustices have been happening for a long time. And you look at South Africa, apartheid like I went and lived in South Africa and learning about that I was like that's unbelievable you know mm -hmm. look at Nelson Mandela look at look at people who have done this in the past what were the qualities that they showed as leaders because again as we mentioned it's most likely that there's not a singular leader for this movement we all are part of the leadership and I think in that vein going back to your story about showing up with a broom to help take a second to understand the story that you're telling yourself about what's happening, because that's ultimately going to be the most powerful story. Uh, it is starting with yourself and stepping back for a sec, potentially from social media, and truly understanding, doing your own research, talking to your friends, but really understanding what are my emotions on this? What are my beliefs? What are my convictions? Where am I at in terms of taking action? And how am I going to do it? Yeah, and I think we've encouraged this before, but I encourage writing. Writing is a really great way when you have an overwhelming amount of thoughts in your head to process them, to understand them, to look at them on paper. Um, and it's a great way to start coming up with a plan, coming up with ideas for how to engage with, with the situation. So I would definitely encourage that. And then once you, once you do feel good about your thoughts, then share. You know, then share, act. Uh, and again, reach out to us. We're, we're part of this, you know, we're part of a community. Um, and I think that we all have to kind of lean on each other to understand better uh, each other and understand what actions we can take as creators. That's it this week for the Colin and Samir podcast. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. And please feel free to reach out to us, share your thoughts with us via Twitter or email. We want to create space for conversation for you and for all of you to share your stories with us. There are actions that we can take. We can sign petitions. We can send emails. We can attend protests. We can talk to our friends and family. We can reach out to those in the black community. And we can work harder to understand the role that we all play in striving for equality. And lastly, we can tell stories. Stories that create change. I'll leave you one more time with the full-length clip from James Baldwin in 1968. The reason that black people are in the streets has to do with the lives they're forced to lead in this country. And they're forced to lead these lives by the indifference and the um, apathy and a certain kind of ignorance, a very willful ignorance, on the part of their co-citizens.
Everybody knows, no matter what they do not know, that they wouldn't like to be a black man in this country. They know that, and they shut their minds against the rest of it, all the implications of being a black father, or a black woman, or a black son. And all of the implications involved in a human being's endeavor to take care of his wife, to take care of his children, to raise his children to be men and women in the teeth of a structure which is built to deny that I can be a human being or that my child can be. The great question in the country has been all the years that I've been living here and I was born here 43 years ago, is what does the Negro want? And this question masks a terrible knowledge. I want exactly what you want. And you know what you want. I want to be left alone. I don't want any of the things that people accuse Negroes of wanting. And I don't hate you. I simply want to be able to raise my children in peace and arrive at my own maturity in my own way in peace. I don't want to be defined by you. I think that you and I might learn a great deal from each other. If you can overcome the curtain of my color, the curtain of my color is what you use to avoid facing the facts of our common history, the facts of American life. It is easy to call me a Negro or a nigger or a promising black man, but in fact, I'm a man like you. I want to live like you. This country is mine too. I paid as much for it as you. White means that you are European still. And black means that I'm African. And we both know, we've both been here too long. You can't go back to Ireland or Poland or England, and I can't go back to Africa. And we will live here together, or we'll die here together. And it's not I am telling you, time is telling you. You will listen or you will perish.